I've had the privilege of being part of many groups over the course of my 31 years of existence. Um, I've probably been on a dozen different sports teams, played a role in probably two dozen different stage productions, been part of choirs as big as 300 and as small as 20, two acapella groups, outreach, minister, outreach ministries, church small groups, clubs and organizations, a, a band for a brief period of time, which I don't talk about much, and then there are the job groups, right? You know, the camp job groups, camp counselor, camp director, serving staff at a restaurant, set construction staff, tour guide staff, bookstore staff, church ministry staff, etc. I say all this not to say that, like, man, you're missing out on life if you're not where I'm at by the time you're 32, but to say that I, like you, will get the chance to be involved with many groups of people over the course of your lifetime. Whether it's on the battlefield as part of a battalion or in the workforce as part of some IT team, a teaching staff or working at some retail, you will be part of some larger group over the course of your existence. And if you are here, and if you're a Christian, you are already part of one group. And we've covered this several times over the course of the last several months, that we are not designed to be alone, but we're designed to be a reflection of the triune God. We are made for relationships. 1 Corinthians 12.12 For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. But I may have been in many groups, and I'm sure you have been in many groups, where it doesn't feel like one body, where it feels like two bodies or seven bodies, right? We just happen to be under the same roof. We all call these different groups different things, but the fact is we might all want to be part of one group, but sometimes we aren't. On the list of things that you guys defined as our group four weeks ago when we were making a list of what is yak, one of the words you put down is clicks. So what is a click? A click, according to Webster's Dictionary, is this. It's your first fill-in-the-blank tonight. A narrow, exclusive group of persons, especially one held together by common interest, views, or persons. A narrow, exclusive circle or group of persons, especially one held together by common interest, views, or purposes. So how do we make sure that we aren't clickish, which actually is a word? Okay? I thought I made it up, and then I checked Webster's. How do we make sure that we're not clickish? And that is where we're heading today in our series on uh, Christ's community. So let me pray, and we'll dive into this topic. So bow your head to me. Father God, as we um, are honest with where we stand in community, Lord, may we seek to serve your community and be your community. And may we be honest in the ways that we act and in our um, beliefs and the way we go about presenting ourselves. Um, and Lord, so that we can better um, learn how to be your community. Uh, may we be willing to throw away some of our old habits create new ones so that we can create a um, tighter Christ's community. In your son's name, amen. I mentioned briefly groups that I've been part of. 
that didn't feel like that there were groups I'd been part of that didn't feel like one big group. Um, instead, it felt like a bunch of different groups. The one that stands out to me the most is um, my time in a group called Concert Choir. So Concert Choir, um, I was part of Concert Choir my sophomore and junior year of high school. It was the large choir at my high school of Providence High School. Um, there were five choirs at Providence. There was freshman choir, there was concert choir, men's ensemble, women's ensemble, and chamber choir. Okay? Freshman choir and concert choir always competed for who was the largest. My concert choir, the two years I was in it, had anywhere between 100 and 120 students that were a part of it every day. It was not auditioned, unlike the women's, men's, and chambers ensembles, so anyone could join. And everyone in high school, I don't know if it's the same way at your high school, needed an art credit. You needed one to just check it off to get it out of the building. So depending on if you decided to take your art credit freshman year or sophomore, junior, senior year, determined whether you got sucked into freshman choir or got sucked into the concert choirs. Um, Now, I will say this about my choir director. Her name was Terry Setzer. You would call her Mrs. Setzer, just like I did. But she allowed me to call her Terry later in life. She wasn't, she wasn't a good director. She was a great director. Um, I've got a chance to sing in a lot of choirs. And she's one of the top two um, directors I've ever got to work with. She's phenomenal. The fact that we got at the high school level... I, you can't say enough. Um, she had created a choir culture at Providence High. Um, one out of every six students, and we had a we had a school of 2,500 kids, was part of the choir. That's a choir culture, and for many people who signed up for just one year to just get that art credit. They needed to graduate, and many of them stayed much longer than they intended. I remember one kid, his name was Michael. Michael was awesome. He sat in between me and Poe, um, and Miss Setzer put Michael between me and Poe um, because me and Poe were very good. And Michael was convinced he was tone deaf. But over the course of the year, Michael found a singing voice. Because Mrs. Setzer paired him with people who had already found theirs. Michael became part of our group, the bass section, believe it or not, and would be part of that group for the next three years. He sat in between. In some order, it was always Michael, Poe, and me. Um, Hopefully one day I'll get to tell you about Poe. His name was Tyler Pocock. We called him Poe. He was awesome. Maybe I can tell you about him one day, too. But that wasn't everyone, okay? So for every Michael in choir, there was a Tom. And Tom, he would sit next to people who were equally as apathetic about choir as he was, right? Um, And then there were a group of girls that would all sit next to each other, and they would just be there to gossip. Like, they're just trying to set up people and talk behind people's back. And then there was the group that wasn't apathetic. They weren't gossips. But they were actually the ones that were like hostile towards choir, right? And would like mock everyone for singing. Like that, it's that group, right? My clique thought we were better 
than the other cliques because we were following Mrs. Setzer's direction and trying to become a better choir. The apathetic clique thought they were better than everyone else because they were above caring for something as silly as singing. The gossip clique thought they were better than everyone else because, well, they gossiped about everyone else. And then the mocking clique clearly thought they were better than everyone else, hence why they actually mocked everyone else. And that made us all cliques. On top of our own little mountains, looking down at everyone beneath us. Remember the definition, a narrow, exclusive group or circle of persons, especially one held together by common interests, views, or purposes. So who do you think you're better than? Who do you think you're better than? What group or person at school do you think you're better than? doesn't matter if you're homeschooled. Most of you who are in homeschool context still interact with some people in your home that you probably think you're better than. Who are you better than at your extracurricular activities? Who are you, I get this one a lot from high school students and college students, more mature than? Well, I'm more mature than they are. That's why we don't get along. Who are you smarter than? And this, this question, <laughs> and this question hit me this week. How do you prop up your self-esteem as you compare yourself to others? How do you prop up your self-esteem as you compare yourself to others? Or maybe the better question is, since we're a church and you're not allowed to think you're better than anyone, what people do we miss? Well, people, do we accidentally ignore who are we blind to, as you guys so eloquently put it in week one? Who are you blind to in this room? So the bottom line question this week is this. How do you click-proof a group? How do you click-proof a group? So, this is where you talk. Let me get your thoughts. How would you say, none of the adults, how would you say you should go about click-proofing a group? Don't all answer at once. It was funny, for those of you in Sunday school, Jason was in Sunday school this morning. And of course, just like old school Jason, you'll get a kick out of this. And so, Caleb, every time I asked a question, Jason was the first one to raise his hand to answer, right? So, oh, God, that, oh, God, that. That's Jason. He wants to be Jason. He wants to. How do you think he click proof? Ben, I love it. Um, being humble. Humility. Okay. I like it. Anybody else? How do you click proof? A group. I, I don't know if this really is. It's not easy to say how to apply this, but having the same interests, I guess, as okay. an entire group, or as okay, so formed around specific interests. I think when you all have similar interests. Just a thought. Good. 
There's that line, though, right? Because even in the definition of click, held together by common interests. So when does it become exclusive interest yeah. instead of a common interest? Rachel. Uh, just opening your mind to the people around you properly. Okay. Being willing to be open. Love it. Yes. You reach out to others. Reaching out. Okay. Did you have something else? Sorry, you raised your hand again. I didn't know if you were. No. Okay. Anybody else? The click-proof group. Well, AJ, they pay you, so uh, <laughs> how about you tell us? Um, let me give you some thoughts, and I'll answer that question with a story. Um, my freshman year of high school, I developed a passion for outreach ministry, uh, maybe because I was still on that, like, I just become a Christian in eighth grade, so like I was still on that high from becoming a believer. That might have been some of it. Um, and maybe some of it was just seeing all the brokenness in my school. So because I, w I was already part of a Christian club, because that's what new believers do, they join Christian clubs at school. Uh, and the majority of the leadership was seniors. So like I was like one of the only freshmen that like showed up. Um, and the Christian club at school did a great job reaching already saved kids. Like we had tons of people from tons of different churches walk in the door, but we rarely reached the unchurched kids. Um, I met with a group of friends that I thought would be equally interested in reaching the lost, and they were, and this was around December, and we decided to begin to plan to start hosting a evening Bible study our sophomore year in the fall that would focus on apologetics and worldview. So for those of you who don't know what apologetics are, apologetics are simply the defense of the faith. It's answering the hard questions about God and Jesus. And it would be specifically outreach generated. So I had my like core group. There were three of us, kind of a fourth. And so we were excited. We started studying what type of books could we use for the Bible study. And then March hits. And within like a week, like it all falls apart. One of the girls that was key in my group, she came up to me and she's like, hey, um, I'm moving to Africa. My parents are becoming missionaries. And I went, I hate missionaries right now. Like I was, I was so mad that uh, Danielle was leaving. So like, okay, she's not there. And then another um, young man, he was switching schools. So you can't do outreach at Providence High School if you go to Butler, right? So like, which was the other high school down the road. So like, okay, this is kind of falling apart on me. Uh, God, I had these great intentions, right? Um, this is supposed to be, um, this is the idea you've given me. So I was really disappointed. About two weeks after all this happened, I got a call from a guy named Keith Dickerson. Um, Keith Dickerson was a youth intern at our church. So our youth group was huge. So he was an intern who worked in the youth ministry that was also a seminary student. Like 27, 28, hip, awesome. I knew Keith a little because I was a freshman. He had been on staff for a while. Um, and Keith was like, hey, AJ, let me take you out of Chick-fil-A. I'm not an idiot. Three uh, fries and uh, Chick-fil-A. Sure. Yeah, let's grab Chick-fil-A. So me and uh, Keith get to talking, um, and after the pleasantries are kind of out of the way, he says something like this. He says, hey, AJ, 
Um, We've been praying since December at the youth ministry about starting an outreach ministry at Providence High School next fall. It would be an evening thing and would focus on apologetic and worldview stuff. Would you be interested in joining our leadership team? (laughs) My response was a combination of um, stuttering um, and excitement. Because it was one of the first times in my life that I remember that this is not my ministry, this is God's ministry. (laughs) And I began to explain to him how I tried to start the exact same thing uh, with my friends, with the exact same start date, with it laying on our hearts at the exact same time, that December, and kind of moving forward. So that summer, he had compiled a team of us. Uh, That summer, Considering Christ, C2 was launched, and it had a leadership team of eight people. Most of us at Providence did not hang out on a regular basis. They were from different cliques all over the school. And if there is something called a clique heaven, it's a high school, right? (laughs) Like any of you that go to public high school know that's where cliques go to heaven or hell, depending on your version, like how you view cliques. But like that's where cliques exist to its fullest. And all of us were from way different parts. We had a football player. We had a tennis player. We had a soccer player. We had a cheerleader. We had an AP student. Um, we had um, a, uh, did I say, a, a football player. And then I was the thespian, right? Like we're all like from like way different parts of the universe at school. But we were all part of this group on Monday evenings. And even though we were different, we all had the same goal. And the, set, and the goal at C2 was simply this, to love God and to love others. That was it. Turn with me, if you can, if you have a Bible, to Matthew 22, 36 through 40. Matthew 22, 36 through 40. Can I get someone to read for me real quick? So I love this section of scripture because if you miss all the other directions in the Bible, if you miss them all, but you got like four verses, like you're locked on a desert island, you're locked on a desert island. You play with that figment of your imagination. You're on a desert island and you only got these four sections. These are, you could dwell on these a whole lifetime, right? Love God and love your neighbor. So how can we pull from this a way to kind of click proof our group? And it's this. Here's the first. It's your next fill in the blank. And that is have the same goal. Have the same goal. C2, over the course of three years, grew from one visitor who came to our first meeting, talk about awkward for him and the ministry team of eight, to 100 kids crammed into a basement at the end of my senior year. Why? Because we were focused on two things. I'll go more into culture. That's our next talk in three weeks when we return. But a common goal had everything to do with cliques not developing in a group of a hundred. There were groups, but there were not cliques. Um, An elitist attitude 
within the group never developed, but a common goal was always shared. Love God, love my neighbor. You know this. You get this idea of sharing a common goal. You've been in those groups where there's been no clicks. You've seen this. That sports team, when you're all on the exact same page and you're like fighting for the common goal and everything works. That cast that you've been on in a show where everyone's working towards the same thing. Like you've been in those. You remember those. They are beautiful in your memory. It's a common direction. A common, if you remember from week one, untuness of us moving in the same direction that leads to growth. So you have to ask the question, and we will in transformation group, of this. Why are you here? Why are you here? Is it to make friends? A good thing. To learn more about God? A good thing. To make your parents happy? A good thing, maybe. To check off the Christian box? I went to Bible thing this week, so now I'm more religious. Because you're supposed to fill in the blank. Why are you here? What is the reason you are here? Which leads me to my next point. It's not about just sharing the same goal. And this is the hard one. It's about having the same want. It's about having the same want. The why you are here question presupposes the want. And what you want to, and what want do you have? You will not be click proof if you don't have the same want, or at least a same want. For a cast in a show, it's a standing ovation. It's the best stinking show you've ever put on. That's the want. It's the why you show up at the rehearsals and bust your rear. For sports teams, I've been on, we wanted the playoffs. Or if we knew we were good enough, we wanted the championship. That was the want that drove us to show up at ridiculous hours, to practice at ridiculous amounts of time, to meet some ridiculous goal. For my acapella groups in high school, we wanted girls to notice us. Really, that was it at the end of the day. All of us wanted girls to notice us, right? Like we had the same want, and we were willing to rehearse like crazy those beautiful pipes to get the girls to swoon, right? Like that's what we wanted. Okay? So do you want to know Jesus? Do you want to be loved by others? And do you want to love others? Lastly, You have to want to invite others along. What Jordan said. You have to want to invite others along. We live in a world that is all about themselves. It's why we have Self Magazine. Social media, and you know this, any of you that are on it, is a lot less about connecting people than self-projection. We have things called me time. Sayings like my way or the highway. Whole sections of the bookstore are designed to be called self-help. You have your best life now. And our world is obsessed with this. And it is pleasing. You engage in anything that is me-centric and it's going to be pleasing because it's all about you. 
But it will not satisfy. It will not satisfy. God calls you to living waters. God calls you to the bread of life. But so often our hunger and thirst is for things that are filled with sugar. It's all about the me-centric stuff. Something that will give us a quick jump, but will ultimately leave us begging for more. And not satisfy us or bring us to peace. When the Bible says that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free, what do you believe that freedom is to? What do you believe that freedom is to? To free more people? Or to just free ourselves and be satisfied? How to be click-proof? Invite people on the journey with you. It's your last fill in the blank. Invite people on the journey with you. Make the journey about the other people and not yourself. Share your goals. Share your wants and invite others to do the same. If we always reminded ourselves that we are about loving God and loving our neighbor every time we came to act, every time we came to yak, how would we act differently? How would we act differently if we knew coming here? It's about loving God and loving others. Let's break into groups. Let's discuss that.